Let's do it. All right. Hello and welcome to Mark S. Played, the movie podcast on movie podcast, where we play just a couple of samples of a couple of the great movie podcasts out there. These are the things that we are listening to and we hope you will as well. Also, these podcasts have inspired a conversation, a discussion, this very episode that you're listening to on Justice League. So with that, here's probably the most positive spin on this concept, the Heroes trailer of Justice League, and then our discussion. After the death of Superman, violence, acts of war, and terrorism are all on the rise. I had a dream. It was the end of the world. Invasion. I think it's something more. Something darker. We're asking people we don't know to risk their lives. Strong man as strong as alone. You ever heard that? That's not a saying. That's the opposite of what the saying is. Divided. We are not enough. world needs Superman. I made him a promise. This is why I brought you together. Right ain't over yet. I'm mad. No, that's your. Oh, sorry. It's your signal. That means we have to go now. Yeah, that's that's what that means. It's so cool. All right. So, uh, joining me, you've heard me before. Uh, unfortunately, for you, dear listener, uh, I'm Michael Denniston of Projecting Film and all sorts of other crap that you probably don't listen to. Uh, but we have the co-hosts of Atlantic SC. We have the Atlantic Screen Connection. The uh, one of the most popular film podcasts on the planet. You already know who he is, Jason Michaels. So we've got a, a superstar coming to talk about Justice League, the Superman to my, I don't know, Aquaman in this podcast field. Me? What would I be, Jason? I don't I, know. Yeah, I'm saying I'm Aquaman. I'm definitely, you're Aquaman? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're the manly one. I'll put that that way. See, that joke didn't work because the, the Snyder version really has tried to like make Aquaman cool, and he used to be a joke. So, But I, I like Aquaman. He's oh, like, we'll get into All that. versions of Aquaman. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna t- we're gonna try to talk a little bit about Justice League if, if this film's not been talked to uh, to death already. I, I feel like it was probably talked to death before it even came out. These these type of properties are, are like that, but for the most part, with with this film, um, I'd say very middling. 
reactions. I, we we did an episode on divisive films. I don't know if you would call this one divisive because I don't I don't really feel the uh, the passion one way or the other with this one. I feel like the people that have enjoyed it feel like it survived. Like yeah. they sort of just made it through it, and that the people who disliked it were like, yeah, I'm just. I was never going to like this movie. I don't, I don't like what they've been doing for years, and I don't like this one. Well, just before recording, I actually managed to check out the Rotten Tomatoes score, and I don't really like bringing them into this because they're an aggregator. It's not necessarily a place where right. film critics you – know, people look at those scores and it's exactly – they judge it by the quality of the film it is and not necessarily the fact that these are actually just an average. But mm-hmm. it's there. It's still there again. You know, uh, Justice League, critics uh, all over, it's at 41%. And if you look at the audience reaction to it is 85. And I mean, if you want to say divisive, yeah. I mean, you've got double the score on the audience side. But having seen the film now, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I don't understand the audience. But I feel like, like you were saying, they're really saying, well, at least they got through it. But that doesn't necessarily make a good movie. <laughs> it's a weird thing. Exactly. To, to go out to the movies and spend your 10 to 15 bucks and be like, all right. They tried. <laughs> <laughs> you know, $300 million, you know, and they tried. You know, at least they tried. And I'm like, well, Christ, man, that, that's a lot of money to spend on, well, at least you tried. I found my reaction – I mean, obviously, the, the thing that is probably most interesting, unfortunately, for the, the film itself is that as a film fan, uh, I would be watching it, enjoying it, sort of in fits and starts – and then it would do something kind of odd or there'd be, you know, Ben Affleck, unfortunately, is like the uh, the exposition machine as Batman. Like it, it, you can <laughs> you can feel the hand of the, the studio or or Whedon or who, you know, whoever was brought in, whoever's decision it was that they had to fix the, the longer Snyder cut here or, yeah. the, or the Snyder versions that we've been getting with Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman that Batman was coming in as a shortcut. To be like, here's what we need to do next, and so every time I would do that, I would, I would, I'd be like, man, this is this is garbage. Like this is not fun. Like you know, I, I'm seeing Batman and, and the Super Friends, and I'm like, why is this? Why does this feel like homework? And it, it did come across from the studio like this is something we said we were going to do, and now we've done it, and thank God we we just managed to pull it together. Like it doesn't even feel like the uh, the actors or the Warner Brothers was having much fun with this property. This was not a celebratory like. We assembled all these great characters together. This was just like, all right, you all wanted it, so I guess we did it. Yeah. God. All right, let's just let's get back to Wonder Woman, where everybody loved us. Yeah. The only guy that looks like he's having a great time is Jason Momoa, is Aquaman. You know, he's drinking his way through the movie, and then after that, he's just like, you know, yeah, my man, I dig it. I well, yeah. all that stuff. He's having a great time. Yeah, as I was trying to joke earlier, I mean, Aquaman, play Aquaman, there's no pressure. It's not no. Like, no, no one has like their favorite like cinematic Aquaman moment yet, so he can just do whatever he wants, and people are gonna be like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." I always heard Aquaman was a dork, but yeah, this is awesome. With regards to the studio trying to get through this, um, I mean, now, now, I mean, when I was watching Justice League, I went with my kids. I brought my two daughters to see it, and I mean, twelve and ten, those are their ages, and they look bored. You know, and I remember my 10 year old telling me, Dad, what the hell's going on? There's no story in this. You know, they're both leaning on their hands at one point, and you're like, if you manage to kind of get these two kids to be bored, you know, they don't care about these characters. The only ones that they really wanted to see was Wonder Woman, and they didn't do a good job on her. So you kind of feel that there's 
a complete unevenness in how they want to handle all these things. And it's very weird. We were talking just before getting on a couple, I think during the week this week, you know, having all these, these executives really reaching into and trying to kind of steer this ship in the right direction. And it seems like they're trying to steer it in too many directions at once. This film felt like a prequel to whatever the hell is supposed to come. So there was no real initial setup. There's no real character development. We just know that these are the people that are going to be guiding us throughout the rest of the DC uh, films. So we've got our Wonder Woman. That's okay. I mean, even the the tone uh, between the first, like the Wonder Woman film and the Wonder Woman in this movie, you can clearly see that there was no real conversation going on behind the scenes because she's a completely different character. You can see there's two different visions in how this person was supposed to be handled. The same thing with Batman. If you look at uh, the Justice League uh, Batman versus the Batman versus Superman Batman, apart from the actor playing the guy, He's, again, a completely changed thing. They had to rewrite certain lines. He's a little bit more jokey. He's a little less dour. And you're like, well, what the hell? Is it just because, like, there's this loss in his life now that Superman's no longer there? A person who he wanted to shoot down from the sky, mind you, in the first film. And you're just kind of trying to figure out where the hell they want to go with these people. And then they lump in three other characters. And you're like, what the fuck? How am I supposed to develop a guy like Cyborg, Aquaman, and The Flash, you kind of get little tinsels of their backstories, but that's not necessarily good movie making. I'm supposed to know these characters before I head into the Justice League. And that's a sad part of it. You know, the idea that it was, um, you know, anthology filmmaking now is really kind of messing with an audience's anticipation for a film and their perspective coming out of it as well. Because now when I walk out of a movie like this, I'm like, well... Let's see what the next one does to see if it's going to correct it. And I have to stay there waiting for the next two years to see if they're actually going to write this ship. And chances are I'm going to be tired and I'm going to want to walk away from this anyway. Not necessarily wanting to go back because Ben Affleck doesn't look like he's having a good time. Gal Gadot's going to be fine. When, when she goes back to Patty Jenkins, they're going to make a, a fun movie. The Aquaman movie coming out might actually be interesting because I have faith in, uh, I think it's Justin Lin who's directing it. I think it's James Wan. James Wan, there you go. That's the guy I'm looking for. I have faith in that guy. Um, have a horror kind of sensibility. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, creepier looking. I don't know if it's going to be creepier looking, but I think that you know the guy has good ideas, and if he's just let off his leash just a little bit with the bigger budget, he can actually do something that's going to be worthwhile, well, worth my time anyway. Flash, I don't have any faith in at all because I didn't particularly like the setup for this character, but hmm. we'll have see, to see. A lot see. of people have had positive reactions to him, and I don't know if it's just that he's. I oh, know, man. He's Sheldon. He's well, Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. That's the same guy. Oh wow, that's well, those are okay. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes or the tweets for this. So, no problem, uh, man. Sign <laughs> them I'll take the fighting heat. words on film Twitter. <laughs> Sheldon from the Big Bang. I, I, the biggest issue I had with Flash is that um, he carries most of the Joss Whedon isms. Yeah, where it feels so blatantly off from the other characters, and there's a little bit of that, as you said, with Batman. Like clearly, it's it's a weird thing to complain about because. I was not a fan of either of the, the other Snyder movies. I hated Man of Steel and I hated Batman vs. Superman. And I also hated Suicide Squad, which he didn't have anything to do with. But so the previous sort of DCU properties other than Wonder Woman, not yeah, been a fan of. He must have been a producer on Suicide Squad. He was in charge of the whole DC universe for a while. So he, he they must... definitely wanted his sensibilities, yeah, like yeah, his yeah. sort of that, that look. Yeah. And so it's a weird thing to where it's like, okay, I didn't like that. And I, I did feel like they made these characters – far too dark and it just those were just not fun movies 
So then they try to, I don't know, it's like they're giving me the artificial sweetener of fun, where it feels so, <laughs> yeah. such in contrast. That it's well, like, yes, this one. is what I asked for, but now now I'm, I'm not digging this either. Um, I do think that maybe if, as you said, if The Flash had been introduced in his own thing coming into this, it just would have felt like, oh, that's just the character. That's, that's how he is, and you'll have an anticipation of seeing the sort of more pop art comic book sensibilities clash with Batman, for instance. Right. And it, I think, unfortunately, they didn't, they should have, in my view, made Batman more the butt of the joke and things. Like, I would rather him still be stiff, straight man who is, has no sense of humor and then just have these sort of goofballs around him. To me, that would have been more funny, but it, clearly they got some notes that Batman needed to be a little more likable. So that's what they did. And see, that's what's weird to me is that Batman is the only one that really has a serious tone in all of those comic books. You know, having him surrounded by these people, like you said, you call them goofballs, it would have been an interesting thing for him to be the only one without superpowers taking this seriously. Right. You know, that would have been interesting. I I don't mind it, you know, but at the same time, I've always had trouble with the Justice League and having Batman in there because it's always one of those strange things where you're like, that's a little bit too big. You know, it's like uh, I remember uh, we were talking about uh, Spider-Man Homecoming uh, and how – Having him in the Avengers at one point just makes it just too big for what Spider-Man is normally known for. And so even if you do read the Justice League comic books and Batman's aware of these uh, interdimensional beings and whatnot, sure. it's always felt a little bit weird. I mean, I can understand that, like, you know, Kal-El, Superman, and Wonder Woman having these more, you know, uh, godlike qualities that are going to bring in from, from different dimensions because they're from different places. Batman's from Gotham. He's just got weirdos dressed up in suits that have no powers at all that he needs to take care of. To find him in this context has always been a little bit weird to me. And so, I don't know, when I was watching Justice League and seeing him with his gun, and I was like, what the hell are you going to do, man? You've got this god that's coming at you with a giant hammer, and all you're going to try to do to shoot him? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Well, his his ultimate power, um, it, it's a totally sort of meta power. So he's just the most popular character. Yeah, that's, yeah I mean, that's definitely. the reason. That's that's it. So there's a there's another uh, comic book sort of owned by DC and their Vertigo line called Fables that was, yeah, it was yeah. not superhero, but it was uh, some of their their powers as far as them interacting with sort of our world, the Monday world as they called it was uh, whoever was most popular had the most power, and so if those fairy tales got lost and sort of the pop culture consciousness nice. they started to to die off i don't i like that but yeah. that's basically batman <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, yeah um one, one thing i want to get at because that that was what i struggled with i i don't know maybe i'll I, i'm gonna be completely at a loss to give like a a review on this really because it was just a weird it was a weird experience because like i said there's stuff i enjoyed but i also was extremely frustrated with it at times and I felt like I just knew too much. I knew I could see through. It was, it was too transparent where I could see where they were trying to give the fans what they wanted. And it, if it if it remained behind the curtains until I got out of it. But I could never get lost in the movie because I could always see like, oh, yeah, the, the other movies did this wrong. So then now they're trying to give us the goods. Okay. Well, let me ask you this then. Do you think that the media coverage had anything to do with all this? The fact that now we have all this information walking into a movie, the whole Henry Cavill mustache gate thing, the uh, – the, um, I have know, to say I didn't really notice that. 
I did. I, I know did a lot of people it. made um, a lot of people make big deal out of it, but I just wasn't. Well, I didn't make I was a just big happy deal Superman out of it. was uh, smiling. I was just happy that he was a positive <laughs> character for once. It's good, but I mean, like I remember <laughs> even on the show that we did, I pointed it out the fact that the only reason why Henry Cavill is is uh, is shirtless at one point is because they're trying to distract the upper lip. And they're like, look at his chest instead of his upper. Demo lip. works. It works. Worked it worked me. fine. You know, my kids were covering their eyes, and I was trying to spot the upper <laughs> lip, being jealous the entire time of how much of a good-looking guy he was. I was like, hey, make him James Bond. I'll watch that movie. But I think that with all the production woes, it takes you out mm. of the film. You know, I, I miss the time where you could just walk into a movie and be surprised by it. You know, the fact that we knew in advance that Superman was going to come back is, is one of those sure. things where you're like, come on, there's no surprise. There's nothing. And it felt like this very monotone film throughout the entire film. There's no real you know, um, emotion. There's no rise. There's no kind of little dull lull where you're trying to get back a little bit of exposition to understand what the hell's going on. Everything seems to be going from like, um, snippet to snippet to snippet, just so that we can actually work our way through and get to the end. That's essentially what I feel like Warner brothers was. Okay. Cut it here, cut it here, do this, put that there. And we're going to sell this package. And then when the Blu-ray decides to come out, we'll add that extra hour. And then the real fans are going to be able to get that. Mm Mm-hmm. But, I mean, now it, it felt like it was purposefully made that way. You know, unlike, you know, Batman versus Superman where they just were like, maybe if we add that extra half hour, the people will be like, oh, well, at least they got a little bit more Clark Kent, a little bit more Superman. And that was a bit right. of a surprise, which was fun. But now I think that with all the production, everything that you're going around, you're walking into the theater and it's like, well, let's see what happened. <laughs> because based on what I was reading in the news – it was a terrible time making this. Ben Affleck doesn't want to be there anymore. Gal Gadot had to come back and reshoots because she was pregnant. Uh, you know, the whole cyborg suit looked kind of weird. The CG looks awful. Now they're putting a CG Steppenwolf in there. They they actually had Kieran Hines, uh, who's a great actor. Why didn't they just put him in a helmet the same way they did with David Thewlis over in he Wonder would, He would be far scarier. He yeah, would be. man. He would be great. Staring at you. Yeah, he would be intimidating. Yeah. Well, I want to um, introduce, I guess, the first podcast that I had in mind. And this, uh, unfortunately, I guess, for listeners, which are ones that are, this is not a Justice League episode. And this is one that I went back to, uh, I guess, a year ago. Uh, and it was one where you were a guest on. It was on In Session Film talking about Rogue One. Oh, right. And, okay. Uh, and well, I was the, the host pushed there, into a corner. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the hosts there for, for once, uh, JD and Brendan, were uh, negative. On the, they were like me. They were extremely negative about something. And right. uh, I could tell it sort of pained them listening to it because they, they're big Star Wars fans, as you uh-huh. know, I am. Not as much as you. You're a huge Star Wars fan. Yep. But um, that was also a film with a troubled production uh, probably more so than Force Awakens, although Force Awakens also had some, you know, some of the reshoots or stuff that came out later as far as how they sort of fix things in yeah. editing. But Rogue One, similar situation where you had a different filmmaker uh, come on um, for Gareth Edwards uh, due to either time or, you know, and I don't think it was acrimonious. Like it was possibly here with Zack Snyder where it felt like Marvelers was taking any opportunity to put a different bent on it. I think with Rogue One, it was Kathleen Kennedy and team just trying to figure out how to fix some small things. But as you said, knowing too much with that film, there were shots in the trailer, you know, the super fans were like, Hey, this wasn't in there. What did they do? The ending? Where's the tie fighter? Where's that, the last sequence. And that film, I didn't care for it. And the guys that were in session film were a little hard on it. You liked it. I really liked it. And just like Godzilla a few years ago, um, I also think it's rather clear that Edwards and his team are, arguably most concerned about these aesthetics more than anything else. And for me personally, 
I think they start to lose sight of the most important reason that we go to a Star Wars film. And, I, and, and now, I want to say this as delicately as possible because this is a Star Wars film. This is a property that the three of us hold dear in our hearts and the general public as well. It's not my intention to hurt or upset anyone who feels very positive about this film and is dedicated to that positivity. Um, but just like Godzilla, where I think Rogue One succeeds aesthetically, I think it practically fails in characterization and pathos. Uh, this is a film that I unfortunately, my experience, I felt was just very, very mundane. And it, it's a film that I just felt like was very much putting its aesthetics first. And as a result, from a characterization standpoint, I think the majority of these characters have no personality, no uniqueness, no well-established motivations. And when they are established, they feel very... Uh, on the surface, very superficial for me and almost too on the nose that there's not enough time to bring a pathos to those motivations. And as a result, and this might be the worst thing of all, I just really felt no reason to care about what was going on in this film. Uh, and, and as a Star Wars film and as a big fan of this property, that might seem a bit hyperbolic, but I feel like I have to be a bit hard on it because I am that huge fan and because I'm trying to be as objective as possible when going in. You can't argue it was a success. It was a financial success. Yep. It's you know, for the most part, fans enjoyed it. There was, there's not this, as I said, sort of muddled reaction like we're getting with justice league. So with that one, as a star Wars super fan, did any of that ever come into Like when you're watching rogue one, did any of that come up in your mind or were you just totally taken away by that film and you could dismiss all the sort of production problems? I didn't mind the production problems. I understand like from edit, from an editing perspective, okay, there are things that you're going to have to cut out just due to repetition. And so that tie fighter sequence, you know, the, what the, what they ended up cutting out is because when they have the ATATs coming in and you have Baze Malbus shooting that rocket launcher up at the ATAT, you know, the head moves over, but then you'll have, uh, the X-Wings coming in and shooting it. These The problem is is that when they had that TIE fighter sequence with Jin on that, that kind of uh, little bridge there, it was the same thing over again. So you're kind of repeating the same beat. You don't want to do that in the movie because the people are just going to be like, well, you know, you guys did that twice now. Where's the surprise? So I can but understand. it looked damn cool in the trailer. It looked really cool. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> you, have cool to, you have to. It, it would have been a great shot. And I was expecting it in the movie. And at one point I was like, God damn it. They took it out. That sucks because I really <laughs> wanted to see that. And it's very underwhelming because when you see Krennic show up, you're like, ah, you're not the TIE fighter. That kind of blows. Right. <laughs> you know, you're Ben Mendelsohn, which is great. I love you as, a, as an actor and you played a great job. But I mean, you're absolutely right. That shot, I would have kept that one and probably trashed the other one. But for character development's sake, to have Chirrut and Baze in that sequence, it, it made perfect sense, you know, to have that surprise where you're like, <gasps> you know, just that turn back of the uh, the ATAT's head, you're like, oh shit, they're dead. But no, you have that X-Wing. So I think that they probably weighed those two surprises one next to the other and they were like, well, at least it's in the trailer. It sold tickets. I can understand the fan backlash, but the only part of Rogue One that I really had trouble with was, I think, the opening, let's say, 15, 20 minutes, the fact that we're jumping from planet to planet to planet. But as a Star mm -hmm. Wars fan, people are, you know, say that they're they're making the universe smaller by concentrating around, you know, the whole Skywalker saga and whatnot. And I felt like by introducing these new planets, they were expanding, and they probably did it in a very sloppy way. So it's a give and take for me when it comes to that. Well, that goes back to what I was saying, and I, I put it on me as far as some of the criticisms I had with the DC films. I felt like they tried to fix that with Justice League, and I still was just unsatisfied. I was like, oh, this still doesn't work. So it's a similar situation with that yeah. uh, planet hopping on Star Wars. But 
the other thing was in that that podcast, which I, I didn't listen to again this this week. So that was that's really about the only amount of research I do for these things. Is, <laughs> is I just I listen to other podcasts, and let them do the heavy lifting for me. That's the great <laughs> thing about the show. Was Brendan in particular was saying that it's like sort of hard to define, but it's like it just didn't feel like Star Wars for him. And one thing I will say about Rogue One that I think they did, and as a film that I didn't care for, that I think they set up well enough is they really did guide the audience leading up to that film. Like, hey, this is going to have a slightly different sensibility. We are yeah, we're yeah, doing yeah. something. It's in the world. And that's the thing, unfortunately, for Warner Brothers with Justice League is they were trying to cue people in that. Like, the poster is very... I saw people comparing it to, like, the Batman sort of forever kind of, like, era where it's going very bright and yeah. poppy. Like, they have a pop song playing. They're talking about, like, you know, we're gathering up heroes. You need a team. You need to be united. Like, this is very positive versus the Snyderverse. Yeah. But it's very hard to switch gears when this is the culmination, whereas Rogue One... That was the first of an anthology where where they could plant their flag and say this is not as you said part of the Skywalker verse necessarily. Yeah. This is its own thing. So did you do you have any issues as a fan switching gears where you're like okay this is in that same universe but they're gonna they're gonna handle a little bit different it's gonna have a different tone you know, for Justice League not Star Wars. Uh, well, I don't expect you to say anything negative about Star Wars. No, I can say negative shit about Star Wars, but I'll, I'll be mostly focusing on the prequels. But <laughs> the oh, thing is, is that on. I'm a don't little be bit a bully to those those poor films. They're great <laughs> stories. They're just poorly directed. I, that's all I can say about that. They're great stories, but they're poorly directed. Too many ideas, not enough trimming. That's what you do when you get a, give someone absolute power. It corrupts, and that's exactly what happened to Lucas. They let him run loose. And anyway, I don't want to get into his own creation. (laughs) Well, it's a thing, you know, it becomes Frankenstein's monster. Uh, But um, I'm not as forgiving when it comes to like movies like Justice League or or anything like that, because to be honest, I have never been in line with Zack Snyder's uh, vision anyway. I understand that like Christopher Nolan was kind of uh, producing Man of Steel, but you know, they, they, they treated him like Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen, and he's not that. He represents something completely different. Superman does not want to be alone. He's a guy who wants to be accepted, and at one point he decides, you know what? I'm going to prove myself to you guys, you know, and he's going to keep doing it over and over again. And I feel like they missed that opportunity by just making it this weird, uh, you know, uh, broody character that cared more about how he felt than how others were supposed to feel around him, you know? He was supposed to be a guy that gives quite a bit as opposed to try to, you know, just just, just see how he feels about things. Is that a reaction to Nolan's uh, Dark Knight trilogy being so successful? Yeah, well, that's it. They were going down that path, definitely. Yeah. But it doesn't fit. I mean, Nolan's is a, is a, a symptom, is a post-9-11 symptom, and it works for its own contained trilogy. But that's going to be something that we look back on and we're like, wow, that's very much, you know, a post-9-11 you know, a series of films, whereas Superman is supposed to be that idea of hope. He says it in the film. And when you're watching it, you're like, wow, why does everyone seem so hopeless? Why does Superman seem so hopeless as well? You're supposed to be this beacon of hope. And yet at the same time, I don't get any pleasure. There's no smiling. I don't feel, you know, any levity here at all. And so I don't know. I've never really been in line with Snyder's vision, and I think you know his culmination with Watchmen. I, I enjoyed Watchmen; it was good. I didn't like it in the theater, but after having watched it three or four times after that, I was like, "Yeah, he did a good job." But with this, I think it it, it just doesn't work anymore. Even the color palette, everything is just weird. Like you were talking about, you know, Batman Forever. Those are not really good films. I mean, Batman Forever and even Batman and Robin. Why would you even remotely want to be compared to that? 
you know, the bar is so low when it comes to those films. <laughs> you know, he's going for the campy 1966 Batman. And, I mean, people will watch that, you know, a little bit, you know, with a little bit of nostalgia. But at the same time. Sure, yeah. I, the, the thing is, is that I have to watch Batman versus Superman. And I have to watch Justice League with that tinsel of nostalgia as well. And it's weird because even in Justice League, you know, we were talking, uh, uh, Lee and I were talking about the score. The fact that, you know, Danny Elfman decided to pepper throughout, you know, uh, uh, John Williams' uh, Superman score and the also he used his uh, 1989 Batman score in little places. But there's never any swell of music. He uses it in odd places. You know, you'll hear Superman's score show up just before he's about to kick the Justice League's ass. You're like, that's you're not supposed to be playing it there. You're supposed to be playing it when he's fighting Steppenwolf because that's the Superman we know. And at the same time, he's shirtless. Maybe that's probably the time he's just going up and flexing. (laughs) But I I think it's odd. These odd choices where they're trying to throw this nostalgia at you. Do you remember how much you liked this? You're like, yeah, I like that in the context of when that came out. You're giving me completely confusing images. You know, you're trying to, you know, lighten the the, the brighten the whole thing. It's just, I don't know, man. I I really, really would love to, to see someone just press the giant reset button on these things because it just shows now how much this is money. It's just money. Now it has nothing to do with like really wanting to put out a good film. And uh, even Lee and I were talking about it on our show. Uh, I, I, I was standing up for these films for quite some time. Batman versus Superman suicide squad. I defended them very much because I don't like bullies. And I feel like now that's what Warner brothers is doing. They're using that, whole tomato meter aspect to get the fans to defend the films by going to see them. I even saw a petition online today and it was uh, in order for Justice League to make its money back, us DC fans should get together and go see the movie six times. And I was like, dudes, what the fuck are you doing? You can't, you can't do that because then you're going to just continue promoting mediocrity. And you can't do that. You have to let them take the bite, learn their fucking lesson, and come back with something that's actually worth our time. Yeah, the most I would agree with, with something like that is, uh, you know, I, I I just think it's good business sense. Which I don't. I'm obviously not like Joss Whedon. I'm not one of the filmmakers here. But I I've seen some stuff online where like fans are like, hey, give us the the three hour Snyder cut on Blu-ray, DVD, whatever. Yeah. And but that you know. For Warner Brothers, that's just hey, you can sell them, sell sell them the film multiple times in different versions. That's the thing, you know, that, but that's the, exactly what it yeah, is. That would be fine. Now, as I said, that being said, I don't know how offensive that is to the the people that worked on this version of it to feel like oh, that's not good enough. But they, as you said, they've got to recoup their investment somehow. So, and that's that would be perfectly fine. But yeah, the 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 sports mentality, which I I really dislike, and I, honestly, I see it just as much with these, you know, the comic book films, it's obviously there with the sort of Marvel versus DC fan bases, yeah. but you get that a lot just from film snobs when it comes to Oscar season too. Okay. Like, you know, Moonlight, Moonlight and La La Land. Yeah. And, and no other realm you remove award season. Why would you ever compare those two movies? Why would there be, why would there be teams of people that I'm wearing like La La Land jerseys? And you're absolutely Moonlight right. I hadn't thought like, about that. That's a funny. good point, man. It makes no sense. It's just this arbitrary thing that you're allowing to enter into the conversation if you like Justice League, by all means, go see it six times if you want to. But I don't think that the fans should feel that they're putting on the hard hat for Warner Brothers either. Like, this is their job to, to, well, to make sure Well, that's the thing. Yeah, you're not successful. supposed to be picketing, you know, to to get something <laughs> out of these. You know, like, they, 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 they've really painted out the film critics as being bullies. 
And I disagree with that. I think that a film critic's job is to be honest about certain things, whether they're paid or not. I don't know. You know, there's always that, oh, you've been paid off by Marvel or Disney or whatever the fuck. And you're like, come on, dudes, do you really think that these companies are wasting time trying to buy critics here and there? If anybody who should be doing that is fucking Warner. It's a weird ownership that people take of the films that they love and normally that's a good thing like it's it's like you know it's no different than like your letterbox account just having like your four films right. that sort of define you there's no other reason to put up there other than saying hey these are my sensibilities like represented by these four films and you're just kind of cueing people into yeah, stuff that. that you dig but like especially with comic book characters you know there's there's a lot of that talk of like that's not the character i grew up loving that's not you know that's not yeah the the, the incession podcast a reference of star wars where it's like hey like you feel in some way like these are my characters because i've lived with them for so long right but they're disney's or they're warner brothers it's <laughs> their characters and they're gonna and like if you're a true comic book fan or even star wars fan you've seen the you know the universes expand and then be shoot away like you know that when disney took over you all that expanded universe stuff was gone but it still exists like you still got enjoyment out of it it's not. It's not that there's one true version, and then the, this one is not the real thing. It, they're just pieces of entertainment, and I'm hopefully you enjoyed them, and you, that's it. That's all you can hope for. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, I did. I did say that you know the Flash is not the Flash that I grew up with, and I mean, I wasn't necessarily looking for that. I just didn't like this one. But I remember my daughters saying to me. These aren't the characters that we grew up when we were watching the Justice League show. I mean, these they're 10 and 12, man. So, I mean, we're not talking about a, a huge leap in time. We're talking about they were watching this when Man of Steel came out, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have, you know, no real consistency in, in terms of you feel like Warner Brothers doesn't necessarily know who their audience is. Are they truly trying to make it for 10, 12-year-olds that are actually getting in to sell more comic books? Or are they making it for us, you know, mid-30-year-old white guys, that are just angry that we're not. Let me gonna... tell you, I for one feel that there's not a lot of media produced for me as a thirty-something <laughs> straight white guy. I feel like uh, this is a market that's not yet satisfied. Uh, I don't know, like because the the score that you brought up clearly that's that's meant to. And, and the guys I was with, they really liked when the Elfman stuff, like the Batman theme, when you got a hint of it, oh, like you could, they got sort of momentarily jazzed about it. And it's it's true, it's just that little nostalgia button that's just being clicked but i mean that's like sniffing a steak and not being able to eat it you know what i mean it's just rubbing it in your face i don't know i'm pretty sure the guys i was with probably went home and just watched the burtman batman movies again so i think i think they they had their steak you know it's all fine but i mean to me that's a tease man it's like watching porno when it's all blurry and shit <laughs> I might have to have a talk. Is your Canadian internet any good up there? <laughs> no, I, remember, I mean, like when we were kids, time. man. You know, the parents didn't want you to have those channels. You know, American Pie style. You remember what he was doing? It's like, oh, that was a tit. <laughs> I'm trying to think if this is going to be the only Justice League podcast that has American Pie as a reference. There you go. As a, as a, a point on there. But I mean, I want to. I wanted to bring in quickly. You know, we were talking about pleasing an audience you know the the the, the mm-hmm. dc sure. uh, fans that are there to defend those those uh movies and you'll have the people that are more along our lines that are just in there to see a good goddamn movie you know not necessarily be like oh look there's another guy in a giant bat suit we want to see mm-hmm. something happen and the podcast i listen i listen to a few i listen to um the True Bromance pod, film podcast. I haven't finished it yet, so sorry, guys, but I really love the, the show so far. They seem to be enjoying it. I listened to Dave as well, and I think he was talking to Andrew. And they, they like Dave said it was, it was fine. 
And I was like, all right, but I mean, is fine good enough for these types of things? And perhaps it is because we're not supposed to be complaining about this type of stuff. We're supposed to be the Moonlight and La La Land crowd, not the, sure, the Justice, yeah. Use, Justice League. But I was listening to uh, Jeff Goldsmith's uh, Q&A podcast, and he was talking to James Mangold. I hate to geek out for a second, but I have to. Just got to ask this question. Obviously, there was a, a timeline reset in X-Men Days of Future Past, which Simon Kinberg wrote, and you know he's yes. the producer of this film as well. And I, I'm just curious, where does this fit in the timeline? Because in X-Men Apocalypse, there was a different Caliban. And I'm just curious if this is an offshoot, a different timeline. I have no idea. Oh, excellent, excellent. I, I mean, as you can tell, by the way, yes. I'm sparring with you on these questions. I don't care. Meaning that I think that stuff is in the way of making good movies, not in support of it. Sure. It is a kind of – it would be as if I'm making movies for the Catholic Church and I have to pass some kind of papal uh, approval for what happens to Jesus in this episode. And that the – the it's just ludicrous. And so the, I'm just curious where it fits I in. Know, that's that's but, the only question. But you're part of the industry when you ask those questions of maintaining the sense of did you break canon or stick with canon when in fact I think canon – Sucks. I was just trying to figure but, uh, out where it was in the canon. Nowhere. Okay. The, uh, the reality, the reality as a marketeer would be that we very carefully positioned it beyond all the existing movies. So it's up to you. You right. come up with it. Meaning my feeling is I want to have a relationship with the audience, not with internet crazy fact checkers with a hundred episodes of shit accusing me of getting something wrong. The, it's the actual audience that I'm most concerned with and that they – exist in the immediate, taking in the movie. And unless it's wildly contradicting something that they just saw in another movie, it's not of concern um, to me. And James Mangold uh, recently, like, he put out Logan this year. That was very well received. I, was, I wasn't lukewarm on it. I thought it was a good movie. I just didn't think it was as great as everyone said it was. But I love the fact that he took a risk and he did something really different with the character. And when he was talking to Jeff Goldsmith, he explained that he was disinterested in making another superhero movie after the Wolverine because he doesn't think that the Marvel Universe, the DC Universe movies uh, are really movies. He says that he believes that they're really expensive TV shows. And he thinks that the audiences that go in to see these are really film fans. They love movies. But they also get really angry if the movies try something different with the characters and don't necessarily follow that same continuity. The audience's want is very contradictory because if you hold the filmmakers responsible to what he calls an immovable semi-religious Bible, then you can't really get anything interesting from it. And I think that when you break down what Mangold is saying, I think it's really interesting because I feel like that's what exactly Warner is doing. They're listening to what the fans really want, and then they're looking at how much money they can make off these fans. But they're not, there's no real creativity going into the building of the universe, which is essentially what filmmakers are supposed to do. They're supposed to take something, interpret it, and make something really good for us to actually be over there so that we can pick it apart and see what the hell they're talking about. You know, Lee on our podcast was saying that what they did with the DC universe right now is armchair philosophizing. And that's exactly what it is. They're pointing out shit that's happening in society today, but they're not really doing anything with it. And so I think that, you know, this is where I applaud, you know, a James Mangold who decided, you know, Logan, he says, it's not part of any continuity. He says, if you're a hardcore film fan and you're really into the X-Men thing, then you could say, well, Logan happens after all the X-Men films and you can get away with it. But he says he just set out to make himself 
a film. He wanted to honor Hugh Jackman's portrayal of the character. He really wanted to explore a little bit more with regards to Patrick Stewart and Professor X. And he made something that's completely different. And look, I mean, the fans really loved the film. The, the film made over, I think it was 600, $650 million on a, on a $100 million budget. Jesus, you made your money over you know six times. That's fantastic for a movie like that, which is rated R. I took my kids to see that one, and they liked it. I think that Warner Brothers, like Wonder Woman, uh, big success this year. You know, it's going back into the past where she can't interact with any of the other characters here. <laughs> it has to be standalone. Yeah. I mean, by virtue of the, the setting, the, the time period. And it works. And it only really, like, drags for me when they feel the need to, like, kind of connect it in some way with, like, the sort of the bookend. Sort yeah. Of like, oh, she's going to go on and she'll be in the Justice League. Uh, I'm going to say something that probably most people wouldn't agree with and that I was a fan for the most part for probably the first third, maybe two thirds of Josh Trank's Fantastic Four. Right. Well, yeah, but it, it wasn't that the was Fantastic his. Four that I knew. I get it. But it was. I'm completely on board with you there because you can okay. tell when the goddamn studio put their hands on it. And I mean, it's their money. I'm not going to take that away from them. But that guy clearly. You could tell that he knew what he was doing, and had he been given just the, the 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 just a little bit of more free reign, we might have actually gotten a really strange, fantastic really cool. four really, film. You know yeah, that really we've never really seen before. It's really cool. And look, it's it would not have by any stretch of the imagination as someone who read Fantastic Four comics like growing up, it would not have been the definitive Fantastic Four. It wouldn't necessarily have been like oh, those are the characters I remember from the comics. It would have been something on its own. But they had, I believe, two other films. Uh, in the mid 2000s that yeah. did the more family friendly they were almost like family films really like it's very pg and sort of bright and jokey yeah and it's like you know when you hired the guy of chronicle i feel like he didn't give you something completely different from that it had that you could you could see that oh this is the same filmmaker yeah absolutely and so i going back to justice league not a fan of snyder's work really at all but clearly they they wanted to put their big bet on him and they did man of steel did well financially i mean it you know i don't know if its reputation really has held up critically but um they continued with that with batman versus superman and this really felt like it was intended to be the third part of his particular trilogy and just trying to move on midway through the film you you end up pretty much satisfying no one to a certain extent so i like when they just like you said with the logan example you're like just go make a movie and that seems to be what from what i've read warner brothers is going to do going forward yeah as they're just going to worry about the individual films that's a good lesson to learn, I think. Just let them let someone say, "Hey, I've got a cool Joker story, and I'm going to do that." And it doesn't ha don't have to worry about how it fits in. And, and of course, the ultimate lesson is just less Jared Leto. Absolutely. They uh, they start doing these one off films, and those suck too. I'm going to be right back here behind the microphone, being like, "Man, you know, I kind of complained about Justice League, you know, and now they 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 fixed that for me, and I still don't like it, you know." So the point is, just don't listen to me, really, and. I'm suggesting that to the listeners as well. It's about that time you stop listening to me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Mark as Played. We hope you continue to do so. You can subscribe on iTunes or your pod player of choice. Or follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at MarcusPlayedPod. We have a Facebook group if you'd like to be a part of that. And we are also on Instagram at MarcusPlayed. You can follow me on Twitter at WarMachineHorse or Jason at AtlanticSC. As for next time, it will be me and Hyro 
the unfortunate duo from the first episode of this very podcast as we continue the discussion this time with far more positive response on Rotten Tomatoes in regards to Ladybird and as it stands now it's perfect score on that aggregator site so we'll look at how that affects the expectations of an audience going into a film and if it affected us I'm going to bet it affected Hyro more than me he's weak very hard to stop listening to Mike. Come on now. You know everyone tunes in for your lovely voice and that accent. Killer stuff. Killer stuff. The voice is like Cavill's chest. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can't take any credit for it other than this is where uh, I was, uh, I guess, procreated was here in this, this land. So, 